listening to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at tghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. Ooh, <laughs> it's cold. Uh, it was almost 60 degrees two days ago. <laughs> it's bizarre, I'll tell you. It's also January 10th, if anyone's... Uh, Wants to place this in in time and space. Uh, 2019. Uh, coming up in the elevator, there was quite a few people in there, and a number of us, I mean, the silent, elevator dynamics have always fascinated me. Um, how people arrange themselves. I know I've talked about this before, because it just blows my mind to watch it how people coming in, how people then just shift into various corners, how, you know, there's no rules, and yet we all know if somebody's not doing the right thing. <laughs> um, standing too close when there's a whole elevator there or whatever. Um, and, and, and this was one of those rides that was uh, quiet, but there were a bunch of us in there. And the only sounds, other than the ding, ding, ding of the elevator as it hit certain floors, was that. Now, it wasn't just me. It was every once in a while somebody, and I thought, well, that's just sort of the soundtrack of uh, <laughs> our lives at the moment. <laughs> but then it made me think about you-know-who. Yes, the leader of the free world. And something I hadn't mentioned in uh, his uh, address to the nation the other day, which was, I, I know I mentioned his pursed lips and the, the squinty eyes and the, I don't think I said low energy, but geez, just awful. Um, but there was the sniffing, the presidential... Uh, I, I didn't think it was as pronounced as it often is, which is, I think, maybe why I didn't mention it. But um, I was reminded of it today, not only because of the elevator ride, <laughs> but also because of, I think it was uh, Gail Collins' column in the Times today where she did mention it. And, uh, you know, just annoyingly said, why does this guy keep sniffing? Well, I thought that had been answered. And I then was reminded that I never mentioned the answer. And I wonder why the answer didn't have a bigger media presence. I can't remember when, but it, it might have been three weeks ago, a month ago, no more than six weeks ago. Some guy who was part of the production staff of uh, Celebrity Apprentice, um, the program that brought us this wondrous historical moment, uh, Donald Trump's show. Uh, and he said, even though he had signed, I guess he's a, is he a comedian too? He signed a, I just saw it in a tweet, but then I've seen it addressed. I can't tell you his name. Some of you might be helping me here now. Um, but he said that Trump, wa it was known that he 
crushed up the drug Adderall. And what is Adderall actually for? It's sort of like a, um, it's an upper, I think. Adderall, A-D-D-E-R-A-L. And he would snort it. He was, when we first, during the campaign, saw him sniffing a lot during the debates, people said, what's he doing? Is he doing coke? Because if you've ever done coke, uh, it does go up your nose. And uh, often you do a little residual this. So this guy said he had signed a non-disclosure agreement so that what he was saying could get him in trouble, but he really felt it needed to be said. And it actually sort of explains a lot. The guy doesn't sleep. The guy is up at strange times, and he's, and that he has to, you know, get himself up by snorting Adderall. I, uh, it treats ADD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There you go, and narcolepsy. Well, we all know he has the attention span of a gnat. And so I don't know if it was maybe uh, given to him at some point but I think the guy he does have a drug problem and it's uh, he snorts Adderall but if that were true why wasn't that picked up on why don't we know more about it um, it seems to be out there in the Twitter sphere but uh, I just wanted to throw that out there the fact that Gail Collins does bring it up and even ask the question, what's all that sniffing about, but then doesn't bring up the Adderall thing, suggests that nobody's been able to um, verify it. Uh, so, I d again, I would, if anyone has any information on the Trump Adderall, connection, which I think, you know, it, helpful because it does explain stuff. I've also seen people say that the guy who put this out is not a publicity hound. He just felt he knew something. It isn't Tom Arnold, though, Milton. Uh, Milton's found something in, uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Here, but it, what, that was not who I saw said it. Um, this is from Newsweek. Tom Arnold claims um, Donald Trump snorted Adderall on The Apprentice set. Um, but that's weird because that's not the one that I saw. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump abused Adderall on the set and it made him crazy. He even snorted it. Mark Burnett knew it. That's the producer. Uh, oh, here it is. Thank you. Milton, you're incredible. Uh, so Tom Arnold, the comedian and actor and what, former husband of uh, Roseanne and a bit of a nutcase. Of course, you'd have to be to be a husband of Roseanne. Uh he tweeted uh, something out 
about it uh, in response to allegations from, here it is, stand-up comedian Noel Kassler, who claimed he worked on The Celebrity Apprentice for six years. And he was just doing a, a stand-up set um, earlier this month, it says, and he said that Trump snorted crushed-up Adderall and called uh, Trump a speed freak. Um, he also claimed that Trump invited teen beauty pageant participants up to his room. None of this seems unbelievable. In fact, it seems uh, probable. Uh, Newsweek, it says, reached out to Kassler, uh, but did not receive um, his comment prior to publishing whatever it is they published. I don't know. So here's what the guy said. I worked on a bunch of those beauty pageants he had in the 90s, too. That was a good idea. Miss Teen Universe? Yeah, that's like giving Jeffrey Dahmer a cooking show. He would line up the girls on the side of the stage, and he would inspect them. Literally, he would stick his little freaking doll fingers in their mouth and look at their teeth. I'm not kidding. This is true. He would line them up like they were pieces of meat. He'd be like, you, you, and you. If you want to win, I'm in the penthouse suite. Come and see me. Uh, and then he says Trump was a speed freak who crushed up Adderall. And he sniffs it because he can't read, so he gets really nervous when he has to read cue cards. Um... I I guess nobody has um I just can't I don't understand why people aren't looking into this and saying whether it's true or not. I would uh I would appreciate that. Um Okay, so you guys are sending me a lot of interesting stuff, but I I, I just think it's so, it seems like a non, it seems so probable. Uh, a comedian who worked on the set of Celebrity Apprentice um, says the president used to snort crushed Adderall and he had to eat it. So it's just another story about the same uh, thing. Um, However, it says when the Hill reporter reached out to Kassler to clarify whether the story was uh, true, he, as he asserts, he told us he prefers not to discuss the content of his routine. He was not willing to confirm this on the record and off stage, but did retweet others, including Tom Arnold's tweet, saying that it was the case. So I guess Kassler has gone, he said it, and now he's, sort of disappearing. There's got to be a reason. This is not normal. And um, Adderall m makes sense. So I don't know. As a, uh, a trained journalist myself, oh, it does not pass the uh, yeah, journalistic test. So uh, people seem to think we're heading into an uh, emergency shutdown. I'm not shut down, emergency, uh, national emergency. Uh, not, that, not that there is one, but that the Trump's going to 
going to do it. And he's going to do it because people say nobody can figure a way out <laughs> of the um, of this, you know, standoff. Um, and so with Trump petulantly or dramatically or, you know, uh, with, if it was choreographed to be that way, storming out of uh, his meeting yesterday with Democrats, um, the way Trump says it, he said he asked Pelosi, are you going to approve border security, which includes a wall or a steel barrier? Nancy said, no. I said, bye-bye. That's your commander-in-chief, um, the art of the deal, the great negotiator, uh, uh, speaking. Uh, if he were to do this, it gets him off the hook. I heard a, a great uh, statement while I was... Um, while I was getting ready to come uh, here this morning, I had CNN on when I was getting dressed, and some guy said an emergency, a declaration of uh, an emergency, a national emergency, would um, allow Trump to appear to be advancing when he's in fact. Uh, retreating. So uh, it'll make him look like, you know, the tough commander-in-chief doing what he has to do, um, when in fact it's because he's painted himself into a corner. And of course he knows that uh, it'll go straight to the courts, that in fact nothing's really going to happen. But he'll look. That's all he cares about. He'll look as if he's this uh, defiant uh, macho man. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Two things I've been meaning to bring up, both result of things that you guys have sent me, and just let me throw it in. Today's going to be a grab baggy kind of a show. I'm going to be all over the place. There is no theme course, that's usually the case, but there's really no theme today. Uh, Mary wrote some time ago, and I think this must have been in response to me squawking, as I do, about today's parents. <laughs> and she said this, I think we've ruined childhood. Everything is taken so seriously now. Get this. A co-worker's daughter has a small role in a middle school musical. And the parents are expected to volunteer 20 hours toward the production. Now, I got to tell you, that's the kind of thing that pisses me off. That is something that parents can do if they... Why do these schools keep putting so much crap onto parents to do when most parents are juggling being a parent, the basics, like feeding, clothing, you know, their children, and they're juggling 
a job or jobs, a lot of kids have a single parent, and they don't have 20. So I just, it, 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 when I heard that, that, that's incredible. Your kid gets a tiny little walk-on role in the middle school musical and has to then go home and pressure you to put in 20 hours of labor on the production? I'm sorry. I hadn't heard anything like that before, and I just thought, God almighty, there it is. So I wanted to share that with you. Also, I wanted to share with you something that was sent to me by snail mail uh, by Catherine, who is known as left-handed liberal when she used to call into the show. And this stems from me bitching and moaning about uh, people not clearing their sidewalks so that they're going to kill me now that I walk a dog three times a day. Um, a day like today, it is like I woke up and I thought, today's the day I die. I mean, because I don't, there's icy patches out there. Last night when I walked, I slipped twice. You couldn't see anything under that thin veneer of uh, snow we had. But in this kind of cold, which follows a lot of rain, the odds are there's ice. <laughs> there's ice out there. And and nobody treats their damn sidewalks. And somebody's going to die. And I think it's going to be me. I've had more injury to my body than you can. I've got more scar. There's not, you can't go more than, I don't know, this far on any part of my body without encountering a sign of surgery. I am not kidding you. I don't want to fall. I'm scared to death. I talked to the dog. I said, you can't pull me. We got to do this geisha walk, the little because I said, all the people here in the neighborhood, they're trying to kill me. Anyway, so left-handed uh, liberal sent me um, a whole bunch of things that she had written up because I had said, I'd like to, you know, put a letter in these people's mailboxes. And turns out she already had written such a letter or at least, or she wrote it for me. I'm not sure. And um, it's a good one. It's a pissed off letter. I don't have the nerve to put it in anybody's mailbox. You know what I was thinking? I'll slip it in their mailbox. And then in this day and age, you realize they could have a video camera on you. <laughs> and they'll see Lynn Cullen. You know, going up to their mailbox and sticking in this pissed-off letter, threatening them with legal action. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, anyway, part of the letter is, um, I see how much you must spend on landscaping throughout the year. It must amount to thousands, and it appears you can afford it. Why is it then that you cannot see the need to spend a few bucks to have someone at least shovel a, or throw a little salt on the walk so that pedestrians like me don't have to walk in the street or risk injury by slipping and falling on your ice rink. Appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's in my mind again today. I'm going to die. Or break something. Um, I've actually thought how my dog would react if I went down and were injured. He's such a sweetie. 
and he would not abandon me. <laughs> he would sit there with me with a, a look on his face like, you know, total concern. Um, but, I don't know. Okay. I... I want to talk about something that I've been loath to talk about because this is one of those things where I piss off people on the left. But I, I, I hope I can do this and not piss everybody off. And what got me thinking, just talk about it already, you know, come on. Uh, what I can't sign on to any kind of, you know, catechism or, you know, litmus test ever. And I often deviate from, I mean, I know that when I was asked to be on the board of the ACLU, I said, well, you know, there's stuff the ACLU does that I do not, frankly, agree with. And the legal guy who was talking to me said, great. <laughs> No problem. I doubt that there are many people who belong to the ACLU who agree with everything that we do. If you're up to as high as 75, 80%, that's, that's great. Really. So here's where I, I do some deviating. And I've seen a few things about this lately. And it's one of these things that I just don't think our side, our tribe, understands. And maybe when we, Joe Pivo, I'm going to call him every man, uh, Joe Pivo's coming in again tomorrow. And maybe I'm going to wing this by him too. I remember years and years and years and years and years ago, my brother, you know, in one of his books, I can't think of which one it would be, wrote about how he could tell that the plumbers or the electricians uh, that would come to his house when something went awry and he didn't have a clue what to do, how he felt. And my brothers can be so sensitive that I think sometimes he's a little nuts, but he, he, he said he feels the contempt of these uh, skilled workers, people who know how things operate, how things run, and who can fix them. When they go to the home of some pointy-headed, ultra-educated, elite, in, you know, you start name, putting all those adjectives out there, like my brother, and my brother figures that most of the people that are in his cohort probably look down their noses at these skilled laborers who come to their home, plumbers. And my brother put out the idea, and once he said it to me, I thought, geez, I bet he's right. And he said, it really it goes the other way. While, you know, the elitist liberal who couldn't fix their own toilet 
is looking down and making fun of plumber butt and all this other kind of stuff. The plumber, he said, is <coughs> probably looking down his nose at the so-called educated people who can't friggin' fix their own toilet or do some wiring in their house. Pretty basic, important kinds of knowledge. And I have noticed, I don't think that's true of all plumbers and electricians or of all intellectuals looking down on people who do physical labor, but I know there's enough truth in it, certainly from my side, of people looking down their nose at people who labor with their hands. And it has always just made me cringe. So-called liberals who treat like service people and wait staff with condescension. There, I want to tell you that our side is comprised of a lot of people like that. They talk a good game about equality and acceptance and tolerance and diversity, but in fact, they are assholes. Excuse me, I know some of them. And I think there are quite a few of them. These are liberals. Not all liberals, but there are some liberals, okay? You can see why I thought this could get me in trouble this entire conversation. And I thought about it today because in the Wall Street Journal, Daniel Henninger, who is one of their columnists, who often writes things that makes me go right up the wall, but who I can tell sometimes, I mean, he's not like, he's not full on Trump, I'll tell you that. He's not. But from his perspective, he's trying to understand. And he's, in this case, he's trying to understand. Um, the people who stick with him, who are so appalled by him. And here's what he says in his piece today. You know, we talk about the resistance. That's us resisting Trump. And he says there is another resistance, and it's on the other side. And it's the people we dismiss monolithically as Trump's base. Doesn't matter what he does, doesn't matter what he says, how many lies he tells, how outrageous he is, they stick with him. And this guy, trying to understand it, says he listens to the people who email him and write him. And, 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 and this, he quotes a, um, I think this is a woman, who said to him, I am unalterably supportive of Trump. In other words, doesn't matter what he do, does. I am unalterably supportive of Trump, flawed vessel or not. So they see him for the horror show he is and say un inalterably, unalterably supportive 
and this is the line, it's not the man. It's the resistance that binds us to him. So they see him, that petulant, resistant person who offends the sensibilities of liberals constantly. And they love that about him because they can't stand us. And I don't think there's anything we can do about that. They can't stand us. And it has to do, and Henninger acknowledges it, um, with what we often put under the umbrella of the culture wars. Uh, What exactly is their problem, he says, Henninger says. And he says it is the left's cultural triumphalism. And he says with what the left has done on American campuses being Exhibit A, um, and that has been building and building and building. Uh, the denigration that comes from us toward their lifestyle, toward their religiosity, their their guns, the, the, the classic what, when um, it was uh, Obama who said what, their gu guns, something, and what was his quote? And you can see <laughs> we can both focus on the horrors, the horrible people on both sides, and there's plenty of them on both sides. I do think that. I do think that. That's where I'm going to get in trouble, right? People who I vote all the right way as far as I'm concerned, but who I find to be sort of reprehensible in their intolerance for other ways of life that don't fit into the identity politics that we embrace. And in general, identity politics makes my head explode. As you know. So Henninger finishes his thing by saying, it is possible that Trump will personally grind down enough people to make him a one-term president. Still, we hope no one feigns shock in 2020. If, despite everything, at least half the electorate quietly opts for Trump over what the Democrats have come to stand for in their heads. The resistance on the right is real, he says, with the presidency the only outlet remaining for their vote. I, I don't know about that, but I don't think that this is all hooey in terms of explaining some of what's going on, we can easily dismiss 
all of those people, millions upon millions of people, as just a bunch of Yahoo racists, right? I am here to suggest that they aren't all and that they're reacting to other things. Um, and here I'm going to go to David Brooks, and this is a piece he wrote some time ago, which, again, I was loath to throw out to you here. But David Brooks is not a Trumpite. He's a very moderate, uh, thoughtful, I think semi-boring fellow who you can tell is an honorable man and a good soul who's always sort of looking for ways to bring people together. I think he's a fine human being. His politics can drive me nuts, but that's, that's what it is. And... He went somewhere in this column that I have to admit I have talked to my son. My son has brought up with me and we've talked about, but I would never mention on this show, and I'm going to today. Let me just share a few things of what Brooks is saying, and caller, please bear with me here. He says, we live in a culture of self-ism. God. Is there a bigger understatement ever? We live in a culture of selfism, a culture that puts tremendous emphasis on self, on self-care, on self-display. And one of the things that we have discovered is that you can be a very, very, very good person while thinking only about yourself. He says, back in the old days, people thought morality was about living up to some external standard of moral excellence. But now, we know this is actually harmful. In the first place, when people hold up external standards of moral excellence, they often make you feel judged. These people make you feel sad because you may not live up to their standard. The self-ism makes me crazy. The fact that people post what should be intimate things, their proposals, their, their marriage proposals, that they make spectacle of them, that it becomes sort of, I'll take your marriage proposal and I'll one-up you and look at me. Aren't I the most amazing person ever? And then, of course, the expectation, I suppose, do women feel cheated if some guy in the, in the quiet of a, a moment together a proposes now with no, I don't know, with no thousands of people or somebody filming it in some way or some big production? I hate all this stuff. I mean, that's just one thing. It doesn't seem like a big thing. 
But then he takes this stuff about always showing who you are. And here's, this is the part that, back in the old days, morality was about loving and serving others. Can we agree on that? I mean, the sense of a good person is somebody who doesn't think about self, but who actually serves others. I still subscribe to that myself, but that's not the fashion now. But now, he says, it's about displaying your indignation about things that other people are doing wrong. That's how you show your morality, your superior morality, and you advertise it by putting signs in your yard, by wearing it on your chest, on your t-shirt. You are showing that you have a superior moral awareness. You don't have to actually do anything. Your indignation is itself a sign of your own goodness. And if you can be indignant quicker than the people around you, well, that just shows how much better you are than them. If you don't understand what he's talking about here, I think you're in some kind of denial because this is how I see our side acting a lot. I look at the signs all over my neighborhood and my friends' yards. All are welcome here, you know, Everyone, this is a neighborhood without hate. You, some of this came up after Tree of Life, but a lot of it was there before because of uh, Trump's travel ban on immigrants and things like that. And here's what David Brooks says to that. By putting up a lawn sign that everybody else in your neighborhood already has, or wearing that t-shirt that all of your friends already wear, you are taking a stand and displaying who you are. Now, you might think this is all harsh because I know the people who put those signs up are trying to say, they're trying to be like the Danes who wore a, a Jewish star when the Jews were told you have to wear a Jewish star. They're trying to stay, I say, I stand in solidarity with the people that Donald Trump is trashing and the people who are living in fear. But David Brooks is right. Putting up a sign doesn't require anything of you. And there is this liberal, lefty, superior moral superiority thing that we wield a lot 
And I think that a lot of people hate us for it. And I think the resistance on the other side is to our narcissism often. And the fact that because we've won the culture war and we're sort of sore winners, I don't know. I want to be a little more welcoming to people who struggle to keep up with the change, the social change that we keep pushing. I Have I made all of you so angry nobody wants to talk to me anymore? Is there anybody? Oh, I forgot there was a caller. I do recall saying, hang in there. Is the caller still there? All right. Go ahead, please. Hello, Lynn. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, I vote um, registered Democrat, but I only vote for them because there's no choice I have. I don't like them that well. I don't like liberal elites. I don't like the Hollywood trying to tell me what to do, the movie stars. I don't like them coming on TV telling me I should go get my annual exam or any of that bullshit they do, or on the news where they want to keep you safe because they told you what the weather was that day. But isn't it funny, a country that loves freedom and loves choices, we love to control other people. I do it, you do it, everybody says, why do they live like that? What do they do that for? It's comical how we are about that. But what I was going to say, if the country would ever get rid of the Electoral College and have a popular vote, you would find that most of the people in the country would vote for someone like that Cortez or Bernie Sanders. Those ideas. Now, I'm not saying those individuals, but that's where we're at. They always say we're in the center. I don't believe that. I think we tilt more the other way. People like they want freedom. They want fair uh, shot at things. They want a fair shake. They want regulation so they control the banks. That's not. We're not in the Senate. We're the other way. But we do the vote the wrong way is the problem. Okay. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Uh -huh. Bye. 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 I don't know. I think the problem might be people. <laughs> and here's where I start showing my misogynistic streak. Yeah. People. I love them, and I want to. Anyway, I'm just saying. So I do. I'm just uncomfortable, and I know I'm part of it, too, because I've said things. I'm just uncomfortable with this sense of moral superiority that the left is constantly showing themselves as when I'm sorry. As I said, one's politics does not make one a better person, necessarily. As stripped down of everything, human beings are extraordinarily complex, right? And I wish we would wise up to how others perceive us. 
Dr. Luck. Okay, there, I said it, whatever. I don't know if... And talking about people, uh, you know, you can't... Well, here's a... You know, when I say we won the culture war, I mean, we pretty much did, okay? I don't think there's any going back. There's still progress to be made, but you see it starting to break into almost absurdity, right? As this group uh, gets attention, then it breaks off into two or three. This is what the left does all the time. They break into, you know, smaller and smaller <laughs> identifiable groups until they have no power at all anymore. They just break down into a bunch of aggrieved, uh, self-satisfied, uh, uh, absolutely certain of their own goodness uh, groups. The left makes me insane. And the right clearly has gone totally off the rails. But anybody who thinks our side is some paragon is not paying attention. That's all. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello. Hi, Lynn. It's uh, Ray from Larchville. How are you? Hi, Ray. Hey, Happy New Year. Thank you, and to you. Thanks. Hey, and Lynn, I was, I was trying to pen an email to you on sort of on this subject. I, I'm almost sixty and uh, been in the trades my whole life. And I, I'm surrounded every day uh, by Trump supporters who I know uh, wouldn't sit next to him or allow him in, in their house, right? Mm -hmm. But they're, they're going to support him. And when I ask them, invariably they'll, they'll tell me that they resent the intellectual elite far more than the, the economic elite, right? That's right. They're not put off by rich people as much as they are put off by being made to be or to feel stupid. Right. Uh, and, and the left, I don't think it's so much a moral virtue signaling, it's, it's the derisive chortling uh -huh. um, that, that the left is, is, goes to so easily about the foolish, stupid, uneducated, barefooted working class. And, and they hate that. They, they hate it. Well, I would, I, I, I mean, I absolutely... I, there's there's so much truth in in that, and you know when I rail about the parent parents of today, I'm railing about those same people who look down their noses and who are so involved in pulling away from the or uh, of uh, making themselves somehow uh, the paragons of everything wondrous um, when they're not. They're often just awful, selfish human beings who. I, I don't know what I and and Lynn, they so much of what you object to this identity politics this is is backed up by this sophistic arguments and theories of of power structures and patriarchal and it's 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 in a level that doesn't doesn't communicate to those those vast trumpers out there it just right. it will not connect to them not at all because they don't see it in their own lives they're they're busy about living mm -hmm. and just trying trying to stay alive, and they don't have time for these 
theoretical structures um, that should be guiding their lives according to the intellectual elite uh, from from Harvard and Yale. Yeah. I, I so I but I you know, my wife and I are raising uh, our child our grandchild and she's at Kappa too just like your your guest tomorrow uh-huh. and he and I we experience these men and they're mostly men because it's the trade yeah uh, and they're good people I understand but, but they resent being made to feel stupid I hear you and we shouldn't do it nope we should stop doing it we because p- they're not stupid no in some ways the the left with the way we carry ourselves and present our arguments, have pushed these people into the arms of these awful people on the other side. You're absolutely right. And I, I've said this to you before, and then I'll let you go. The problem is, the hardest thing about winning a war is stop fighting. We don't know how to stop win, trying to win when we already won. We push it. Push That's it. right. And then we humiliate them, and then they get back up and start fighting again. Right. Got to stop it. Recognize when we win. Exactly. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Good to All hear right. from you, Ray. Bye. I love the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you. Bye bye. Yeah. Recognize when we've won, and stop. Re- and yeah, I think we're sore winners. We're bad winners. You know how you get, you win, and all we want is more, 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 more. And all these other people are, they want to. They can't stomach. You know how much you feel revulsion for them? I got news for you. And as Ray says, a lot of these people are salt of the earth good people. And we have no more ability to coax them into changing their minds because of the way we present ourselves. I'm not, and again, I'm not talking monolithically. You, I'm not talking about you individually. And I I just feel this is a real problem. Here's indication that we've won. Uh, This is today's New York Times. This is a couple you're looking at. Uh, One of them is the uh, governor of Colorado, uh, Jared Polis. I think it's Polis as opposed to Polis. And uh, his husband... And he's a five-term congressman as well. And he won big in Colorado. And the fact that we now have an openly gay governor who has, he and his husband have been in D.C. together when he was, the guy was in Congress. They have uh, two children, young children. One's four, one's, I think, six. They, his, when he ran, his sexuality was not mentioned much at all. He won by something like 11 points over one of the, you know, some, some Bush relative. Uh... And boy, this guy explodes so many of the, uh, you know, you know, gays, how they, uh, you know, gays dress better, gays this, gays look a certain way. Here, I love this about him. In 2014, this guy, now the governor of Colorado, uh, was named by GQ as the worst dressed congressman ever. <laughs> I, I mean, how wonderful is that? That 
the worst dressed congressman ever is gay. And he doesn't care. He just wears total lump. He's schlumpy. He's also a Jew. He's this is culture war win. And there there's wins all over the place. And what do we do? We just keep piling on when there are so many people who by virtue of where they live, who they are, families they were born into, this is all alien to them. Give them a chance to catch up. Don't berate them. Don't belittle them. They're salvageable. We can bring them up to our high, high, high standards. People, I don't know. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I vote Democrat because uh, it's my alternative. I'm sort of one of those people. I, I, I find, I just find so much objectionable. I am thrilled that we won the culture war. And we did. And yes, there's some work to be done. But my God, if you think we've had nothing to do with this outrageous chasm that has been created in this country, please think again. I'm... Aaron writes, I don't fully agree with you, but can definitely see your point on this. I know some really shitty liberals myself. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I, I, I just know there are a whole bunch of people with those, you know, those signs in their yard saying, I am such a wondrous person. That's not what they put them up there to say. But in the back of their head, it's there. Again, it's that self stuff. I will advertise myself as a wonderful person. That's not the way to be a wonderful person. Um, okay, Milton's got a big long thing. He's not agreeing with me. In a society filled with misogyny, racism, and ignorance, uh, growing beyond those most human base impulses is a moral, intellectual, and socio-cultural victory of the individual. Celebrating that victory with t-shirts or yard signs is not some liberal showboating. It is a celebration of one's personal growth. At least it is in my case. Being happy with one's growth and showing it publicly as long as it is void of condescension is not a bad thing. Can't we do it more quietly, Milton? See, I, it used to be that if you were proud of being a better person, of growing in your life, and I am, and you are, and God, I hope we're all capable of being able to say that until the day we draw our last breath. But why do we have to advertise it? That is something that's different in our culture, that 
advertising of okay and he says Milton I hope you don't forsake me for this come on Lynn he says that's like asking the winner of the Super Bowl to quietly return to their hometowns with no celebration no White House trip and no parade we deserve to be proud of our growth we deserve to celebrate our small triumphs this hide your light under a bushel barrel is what empowered the troglodytes in the first place remember the liberalism of the 90s everybody has a seat at the table yeah that's why we're still debating climate change as the rest of the world moves to combat it this thinking you Brooks is dangerous to progress okay you left out a word there and I'm unclear but I appreciate I love that you don't that we're not in agreement I because you know what that's another thing that I can't stand about what's happened is this monolithic kind of thing where you guys listen to me because we all agree and nobody there's never any you know ability to say you know what I really I'm queasy about this I'm uncomfortable with that and I really appreciate what you're saying here I'm just being honest about my own feelings okay um, and I thank you for the same we have a call caller go ahead please yeah this is Kurt your paper boy Kurt, my paper boy. Oh, hi, Kurt. <laughs> took me a You're while. Paper boy, yeah, okay. Me. Yeah, right. <laughs> hi, Kurt. Hey, I, I agree with you to a point. I, I, I remember when I was in college at CMU, we had a, we had a, a, a private room with our own bath that one year, and uh, I was awakened by the person coming in to clean the restroom one day and uh, got out of bed and let them in, and and he, I don't even remember if it was male or female, uh, I think it was a guy, who noticed, and I think maybe it was a Gordon Liddy book uh, that my roommate had, which I hadn't read and wasn't particularly interested in. And the guy started coming, he said, have you read that? And I said, no. He says, yeah, I read it. And he started to tell me about what it said and how what he agreed with and didn't disagree with and what he thought of whoever the book was about. And I was um, taken aback a little bit. So I, I your your discussion reminded me of that, but really I, I don't, and I agree with you to a point, but I don't think that liberal elitism is as much a problem as the rebel rousers for the right make it out to be. Uh, you know, as usual, they're they're taking a grain of truth and blowing it up to make their base feel like victims as if, uh, you know, the microaggressions talked about as a learning tool on college campuses are somehow going to send people to jail. And it just isn't that, it isn't that bad. It's blown up out of proportion. You think? And I, I rem like, I'm thinking of Rick Santora. I'm saying how liberal elites uh, think everybody has to go to college and uh, working for a living is a bad thing, and they look down on us. But who really in this debate is the greatest advocate for vocational training and trade training and unions and so on yes. and so forth. Yes, it's our side. And that's really a more liberal idea than it is a conservative one. So I, uh, you know, I temper your concern with the, uh, those are real. Okay. Reality, I, guess. I love this. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my paper boy. Thank you. All righty. Thanks, Kurt.
Bye. All right, talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. And 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 that guy is in a a wonderful gay marriage. And Milton, who is African American, has written back and said, because I'm happy that folks have grown to a point where I, my brother, my family, my people can finally ride in the front of the bus, because for 300 years that wasn't the case. Milton, I'm totally there with you. We have one and one and one and one moving forward. And the backlash, I just wish we'd be, I don't know. We're lousy at I don't know. Let's keep talking about this. Because I, I really think there's something we're doing really wrong. I do. While we do all this good work. Because there's no doubt our side, our tribe, is the tribe that has moved things forward. There is no doubt about that. And I'm proud of that, too. And Milton, I'll give you a last word. This conversation deserves a greater hearing. Please continue on another show. I think we'll continue tomorrow with Joe Pivo, see what he says about um, how he feels, because he is a guy who works with his hands um, and clearly has a really smart head. Can you imagine? Okay. Okay. Thank you all. And I, I feel like unburdened because I've been, this has been in my head for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I've been afraid to even talk to you. Isn't that amazing? You're the best. Thank you. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.